right? The, the specific purpose of fulfilling the vision of God, which ultimately we know is the salvation of the world, right? So anybody, if we said, hey, listen, like what is church? It's people who gather for the purpose of the, the purpose and the vision of God. So whether we are gathering like this as the church, right? Church not being placed, but church being people gathered. So when you talk to people like, hey, what church do you go to? Well, we gather as a people at Vintage 242 here in Dallas, you know, Dallas, Georgia. But the idea is that it's people who gather for the purpose of God, which is to save the world. And we all know saving, that's a really big statement, saving the world. We recognize that means the great commandment, love God, love neighbor. We recognize it means going and making disciples of all nations, right? It means that we're loving our neighbor, we're loving one another, we're being discipled and discipling others. All of those pieces together, but it specifically is a specific piece, like we gather for the purpose of God, which is all about God's saving the world in us and through us. And so we said, whether we're here, like I was talking about Tom Tanner said, hey, talk to this African pastor friend of his who's in his doctorate class at Asbury. He said, hey, how do you define church? And he literally said, it's two men under a tree reading a Bible together, right? That's a church. And so there's this beautiful picture that wherever we go, as the people gather for the purpose of God, there is church. And so then we talked for a cut last week about the story of Nehemiah. The story of Nehemiah is we learn we must not be spectators, but instead we must be active participants, those who are actively engaging the vision and purpose of God with our giftings and our strengths. And so you know what it looks like to, to, be, a, to, to be a spectator. People who go to church as passive receivers who just go to receive something for the purpose of themselves being built up or that great Bible word edified, right? But the idea is that church is about us gathering and we receive, we are edified, but we're also giving. We're active participants in all that we're doing. We focus specifically on the story of Nehemiah because they were, if you've read the story, they are a successful ecclesia, right? Like they wouldn't have been using church and thinking in church at all like we think of it, right? But they were a, a gathering of people around the purpose of God to rebuild the wall, and they did not give up. As an ecclesia, a people gathered for the purpose of God until the wall was built. And so we looked at their story and said, all right, here's an ecclesia that we need to learn from because they actually succeeded. And so we highlighted specific traits that empowered them as God's church. We named these traits, and here they are, five specific traits. They had a clear vision. Everyone fulfilled their role, they had opposition, and they pressed through. Super important caveat, isn't it? There's one thing about receiving opposition, there's one other thing pressing through. They had opposition, and then they pressed through. Their vision number four, it had wisdom, right? They didn't go, we won, and then they kind of ran off again and like, oh my gosh, and surprise, and opposition came again. No, they literally, in those moments, they had vision. It's like, oh my gosh, right, God's in charge, but we are going to be working and prepared for battle all at the same time. They're working and prepared for battle at the same time. And then five, we said they rallied together to serve one another when there was a need, when the enemy attacked. 
And so he said, to have a successful, quote unquote, you know what I mean, successful, a thriving ecclesia that fulfills the purpose of God, these traits must be present in our body. They must be something that you are aware of, right? And you are engaging as individuals because the church is only the church as individuals gather and engage these different traits. And so these are required. These are required of a church that's called to fulfill the God's purpose and vision. So with that in mind this morning, I want to take all of this and I want to then dive into Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Probably be a familiar story uh, for a lot of you. But in this story, we're going to look at, honestly, some different pieces again around learning moments in the body of Christ. And then kind of name some specific places this morning for us to dive into. Let's read from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. It says, In those days... So we were in the early church, right? You know the book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. It's the, it's the growing. Oh, you're good. Okay, man. And so in Israel, we had this idea the church is growing together. The church is doing its thing. It's fairly young. It's fairly new, right? So it says in verse 1, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God, um, the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are, who are known to be full of the Spirit, full of wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. And we'll give your and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them in verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So again in the story, what we begin to we just begin to see some learning moments. We've been learning moments for the apostles, right? They were growing and learning as leaders. Uh, we see it in the context of learning moments for the people. And I hope this morning can be learning moments for us. The first learning moment I want to name is that growth means problems to solve. Growth means problems to solve. Now if you talk about the book of Acts, everyone loves talking about the early church and the book of Acts. And really what you're talking about are the first three chapters, right? When you read the first three chapters of Acts, like they, they seemingly are the pinnacle of the early church experience. Using our language from last week, they had a, a very clear vision. Everyone was doing their part. And the church was growing by leaps and bounds, right? Thousands of people being added to their numbers daily, right? Like this is like a case study of church growth and what every single church leader and pastor is like, I hope someday we can be like the church of Acts, right? Because all the beautiful stories that you like in here, right? We even, it's like the best of times in the early church, right? Our, our church name, like we're named after Acts 242, right? A picture of the church at its most glorious height, 
But then chapters four through six hit, right? And the rest of the book, right? The rest of the Acts, like chapter four through six occur in chapter four, like Peter and John doing their thing. And all of a sudden, the very people who killed Jesus brought Peter and John in for questioning. And everyone knew what that meant, right? It was not going to be a great moment for them. So, and sure enough, you get in, you can read the whole thing. They get, like they get talked about, like hard questioning, Peter and John speak, right? It's a difficult, difficult moment. We get into chapter 5. Remember those poor people, Ananias and Sapphira? Man, one of the most difficult passages in all the New Testament. Here are these people. They sell a piece of property and they lie because they lie about how much they, 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 they got for it, right? How much they received in return for it. Brought a certain amount to the disciples. They say, hey, here you go, church. This is us. It's like, is this everything? Yes, it's everything. No, you're lying to the Holy Spirit, and then they die, right? What's going on here? All we know is this. That's a big deal, right? This is not a great moment. For the very first time in the early church, people are lying about their finances, right? And God's not happy. So it's a difficult moment of the church. It says the scripture, and everyone was filled with fear, right? It's like, I don't know, it's like all sorts of fear, right? Fear of God and like fear of death, all types. Of, it's like a difficult moment, right? And then we come into chapter 6. In chapter 6, is this moment where we have grumbling. We have inner turmoil between specific two specific groups of people in the early church, right? We find the Greek-speaking widows being overlooked at the food distribution. We have a problem. So for understanding's sake, There were two distinct Jews in the early church. And I'm not going to dive into these super deep, but just to get a a brief snippet. You have the Aramaic-speaking Jews who considered themselves to be the most undefiled and pure Jew. Right. In their mind, they're they're. I don't want to call them elitist, but kinda. Right. Like, oh, you, oh, you speak Greek, which is the Hellenist Jews. The Hellenist Jews are those because of the great Jewish dispersion. They got dispersed because of persecution and whatever. They got dispersed into other cultures out here. And then during that time, because the culture spoke Greek, they began speaking Greek which isn't quite as pure as those who were speaking Aramaic, right? The language of the true Jew. And so inside the church now you have the, the, the Aramaic-speaking Jews, kind of the elitists, and then you have the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews, who are fully Jewish, but they speak a different language. They've been impacted by a different culture, so they're not quite as pure. And so in this story, in this story, like the, 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 the Aramaic Jews and these widows There's been this program set up, a program set up for them to be fed, right? Program for them to be fed. And the reality is here, there's probably nothing vindictive about the Greek widows not being fed. More than likely, it's just simply an oversight by those who are doing the feeding because Thousands of people are being added to their numbers daily. Basically, there's a problem because of their growth. Probably a problem because of their growth. The most prevailing 
thought on the reason the missteps is because the church had grown so fast and because so many widows had entered the church so quickly, they had not readjusted their plan to help those that are in need. Or maybe they haven't added these people to the distribution list because they were just so new. They didn't have spreadsheets back in the day. Oh, so you're new, right? Like we have, we have like software on our computer here to add names in if there's somebody new, right? Every single time someone fills out a connect call, we put their name into the computer. They're in our software. We can pull their names up that you didn't have this. I don't know if you know that or not. There were no computers. There were no smartphones, right? And thousands are coming in. And here's the thing about the the greet that the feeding program was not probably the probably was not the widows coming to the the temple to get fed. Because a lot of them were probably in home and couldn't come. And so it was literally probably going house to house to feed them. And so they just hadn't been added to the number, right? They were just so new. So growth created a problem that created inner tension and turmoil, which is the second learning moment. I'm sure you don't know. Maybe you know this. Problems in the church many times lead to grumbling, right? Have you ever experienced that? In church, I'm sure you never have, right? No, it's like all of us, we all get there. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Some of you, I just wonder, I'm not going to make you happy raise hands. Like, I wonder if someone just popped into your head as the, as the most grumbly grumbler of all the grumblers you've ever known in the context of the church, right? Like, I have no idea. I have people see people I'm thinking of myself, right? And so you have these people. Because problems occur, we all know this. There's internal strife. People with hurt feelings. People at odds with one another. We have this moment, grumbling. Grumbling occurs because we're human beings. End of story, right? Like we're, we grumble because we're doing life and everyone's a unique individual with different backgrounds, different convictions, different strengths and skill sets. Like, like you know, like I just love these always analogies because they're so helpful. It's like you have the engineer on one side and the free-flowing artist on the other, right? And they just see things very differently in life. And then you put them together and they're like, what are you talking about? They're like, you're so Different, which they mean weird, but they mean different too, right? It's like, oh, there's this, this tension is so in this moment. We have these grumblings, they arise, and unfortunately, the body of Christ, it breaks relationships. It keeps us from growing because growing is a direct result of us working through the tension that we have with someone or the issue of something. Grumblings are a moment for the church to choose unity and to fight through those things because fighting through tension is the only way something grows. If we don't, quoting one commentator I read regarding the issue at hand, which we see all the time in church and it's this and it's on the screen, it says Satan... Satan loves to use an unintentional wrong to begin a conflict. Here in this story, the Hebrews were right in their hearts. They're trying to help the the widows, right? And the Hellenists, well, they were right in their facts. They weren't getting fed. These were perfect conditions for a church-splitting conflict. Like, I'll be honest with you, one of the most fascinating uh, parts of my church history classes, specifically post-Reformation, was the little things that would occur in churches that were big, big things in the minds of everyone and cause splits 
it was, it was, it was actually depressing to read through it. Watching how some people latch onto one thing and it becomes such a divisive issue. They become all these splintered movements. And now we have these splintered movements to the body of Christ here in America and across the world, right? Around small things because they couldn't, they couldn't agree on the majors, but they focused on the minors around these issues of grumbling. So the third learning moment we see here is problems in the church require leadership. I, I, I really do, I love this story in chapter 6. A small but very personal problem arises. And the 12 disciples, they stop what they are doing to seek wisdom. Now it's interesting in this story, you, you don't know what they did. We don't know. Like we, we, it's silent. Like all knows where they get a problem, we got to pull away. They pull away, we don't know for how long, and they come back with an answer, right? And so you can just kind of assume, just because of who these are, who these 12 guys are, like you can assume that they went back, I'm sure they prayed, I'm sure they just listened to the Lord, I'm sure they sought wisdom, and I'm sure they had conversation in the moment around next steps. They probably weren't in a hurry because they had learned over time watching Jesus. It's like, this may be urgent, but Jesus was never in a hurry, so this is urgent, but we're not going to be a hurry in this, right? But they're, they're actually recognizing the problem and then engaging it caused a sense of kind of peace in the moment because the leaders actually stepped up to name the problem to do something about it, right? But we do know the result, right? The result was simple. Find people, empower them, and send them to love on these women, right? Super simple, man. Like, let's just find people, let's empower them, and send them to love on these women. The role of leadership in every small seed church, highlight a problem, prayerfully consider the problem, and then look for the correct people to step up, active participants, Right? Again, it's not rocket science. There's a problem. Leadership needs to see that and name it. I love the apostles, all 12. They said, this is a really, people are important. People are important. So they pulled aside. And the fourth learning moment is God leads people to step up in the middle of problems. God then leads people to step up. So in the story, they said, hey, we've got to find people, empower them, and send them to love these women. But they didn't know who they were. Right? They didn't know who they were. They said, all right, well, we're going to release this to you, to other said, and I want you to figure it out. So they took the Hebraic Jews, this side. They took the Hellenist Jews on this side, who were a little bit like, mm, kind of had that grumbling towards one another, giving the, the stink eye, you know, I'm getting, mm, I see you over there, huh? You Aramaic speaker, you, oh, you Hellenist, whatever it is, right? You got the whole dynamic going down. And then they worked together. They work together. God leads people to step up into problems, right? For the apostles, and this is an interesting fact, I would just, just to think about this. We don't know if they're stepping back from service, if it was just seasonal, or if it defined the rest of their ministry. We don't know. Like, did they forever pull back and only study scripture and pray? Or was it just the season that they were in because it was such an impactful moment, right? We read that and say, so that's all they ever did. But we don't know if that's true or not. The scripture doesn't say what they then decided afterwards. But we know in this moment, they had to pull back because of the wisdom of God in the moments, right? And then have people raised up. 
The idea that we know very clearly is they couldn't handle the growth of this moment, this movement. They couldn't handle the growth of this movement unless the ecclesia stepped up and were active participants. They couldn't handle the growth of the movement. They couldn't handle the the growth of the church unless everyone goes, oh, here I am, send me. Here I am. Send me. And I love, I think it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful that every one of the seven who were chosen, every one of the seven who were commended by everyone as men of high character, every one of the seven were seen as full of the Holy Spirit and who were, who were wise, all of them were Greek Jews. None of them were Aramaic speaking. Why is this important? Well, the Aramaic speaking Jews humbled themselves. They choose unity And they got on board with these men who they partnered with to serve the widows. Like this is super important to see. There was this, hey, we have this grumbling moment, but I'm not going to choose offense. In fact, I'm going to choose unity. I'm going to fight through my own sense of response. Because, right, here's the deal. It's like someone in this moment said, well, they... They, the proverbial they, not like, oh, they are so great. No, they are those people. But in this moment, he says, no, 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 we don't choose offense. And we embrace and we'll work together to see this problem filled. I love this in the moment of these seven. Stephen was immortalized as the first martyr of the newly established church. We talk about him all the time. Philip. We've seen him. He's the guy. I mean, did crazy things. He became a stalwart evangelist and leader in the early church. Very, very, very well known. Prochorus. He later became a bishop. And Nicholas. Well, he's Santa Claus, Saint Nicholas. I'm just kidding. He's not right. We don't know who he was, but the idea is like he was somebody important. Okay. So, in this moment, in this moment, this wasn't. And I want you to see this. This wasn't a highly visible. It wasn't a big time role in the church. He was just feeding the widows. Right? Like this wasn't like, come be one of us. We're going to add a 13th apostle. Listen, be a primary speaker in this and become a speaker and primary leader in our whole movement. We want you to give wise counsel to us. We want to draw you up and make you someone who is fully known in the Upper leadings and leadership. And he's like, no, no, we just want you to be in charge of a feeding program for a bunch of women, right? Who are going to be a little testy, probably, because they're hungry and you're not getting there soon enough. You know what I'm getting? I'm like, just testy people out there. So you had this whole dynamic going down. There's nothing glorious. It was simply in need and full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. They stepped up and they knocked it out of the park. Not complaining, not grumbling, not going, oh my gosh, well, why can't I go do that? Why don't I have that gift? Not living in comparison, not wishing they were somebody else, just strictly in the moment celebrating that they were chosen for this lowly but important act in the church, and they gave everything that they had to it. It's huge. 
is there learning moments? As we end this morning, it's important to recognize the issues at hand in the church of Acts. Like, it's important to recognize it's a direct result of growth. Growth is always a blessing. It's never a curse, but it is hard. In this story, growth takes the sweet and easy days of Acts 1 through 3, and problems arise, structure change and leadership and service in the body have to happen, right? And this morning, I want to bring this home as we talk about specific areas at Vintage. Number one, we have grown, right? Over the years, we have grown. I remember when we started 70 people 10 years ago. It was fun and exciting and new. Everyone was on board. Energy was flowing, right? But as time goes on in any church, in any setting, right, people start to wane in their excitement. Their passions grow colder. And we find ourselves nowhere in the level of passion and ownership that we have at first. And if you think about the reasons, there are many, right? People get tired, life is hard, work has changed, family commitments have grown, and all of these are valid reasons. But I believe there's always supposed to be a moment on a regular basis, honestly, when we ask God to awaken and open our eyes again to the pinnacle of his creation, the church, this ecclesia, and we are to become enamored by it again and ask God, God, this is the pinnacle of your creation. Where are you calling me to partner today with you in the life of the church? Like, I think it's super important to go, where are your passions? Where's your energy? Is it in the ecclesia, the gathering of God? Is it the people of God, the community he's put you in? Is that where your primary energies go, right? Primary mental energies are the ecclesia, people of God, or is it something else? We have been designed to work for the purpose of God, the vision of God to lead us and guide us in everything that we have going on. And we're just simply asking ourselves all the time, okay, God, we've grown and all of a sudden I've begun to, to grow cold. You know the old story, that pastor walks into this guy's house with him in church in years, right? There's a fire there. He takes a coal, pulls it out, lets it sit there. And the guy's like, what is he doing? What's he doing? What's he doing? Right? And the coal begins to go, grow, just go down, go down, go down, go down. And finally he takes that, he just says, Takes that coal, puts it back in, and says, I'll see you at church on Sunday, right? Because he recognized the only way that when the coal pulls out by itself, it grows cold. When it's with the ecclesia, the people of God, it grows inflamed again. Man, we want to be a people, man, that we have grown, but we don't pull away. God, the church is the pinnacle of your creation. If you don't see it that way, then take time to allow him to awaken in you the true understanding of ecclesia. Don't talk about denominations, right? Don't talk about worship styles. Don't talk about length of things. Don't talk about orthodoxy. Just talk about people gathered for the purpose and vision of God in whatever setting it looks like. This is one. This is one. Number two, we need to stop grumbling. Like I can honestly say that I hear less grumbling here than any church I've ever been a part of in my entire life, right? I'm not saying I don't hear any grumbling, but I definitely hear a lot less, right? Grumbling requires, in that moment, you have to be honest, it requires self-assessment. When you start grumbling, you have to stop and go, why? You have to ask the question, why am I grumbling? Have you ever asked yourself, why am I grumbling? Why am I complaining? Why am I grumbling? Why am I complaining? Like the, the, the step of the mature is always to step back and go, all right, Jesus, what's going on in me? I can only start with me. I can't change anybody else. I can only start with me, right? 
Why am I grumbling? Like, what's going on? Why am I complaining? Why is this their tension inside of me? It requires honest assessment. And asking, am I, am I missing something? Right? In this story over here, we said, man, the, 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 the um, Hebraic-speaking Jews, man, their heart was right. And the Greek-speaking widows in the church over here, Jews, I mean, they had a legitimate beef, right? But they both had to ask the question, like, why am I going? What's going on? What are we missing here? I have to take time and say, am I wrong? Do I need to ask? Do I need to ask for clarification? Maybe I don't fully understand something. Or the idea, do I need to hear the other side of the story? Like, it is so fascinating to me to be around people who don't like somebody else or frustrated with somebody else and have never had a conversation with them to figure out what's going on. Man, it just, it, it grates on me. It is my number one tension with church. People who don't have conversations with other people about tension that they have with other people. And they just sit there and get offended and then leave. And it was like, what happened? I thought things were going so well. Why did they leave? Let a tension around X. Why didn't they come and have a conversation with me? God. It would help out a whole bunch, people, if we would just let our guard down, be honest, and have real conversations. And then so we got to stop grumbling. Number three, leadership must step up. Leadership must step up. So at Vintage, we have our staff. We have our executive leadership team who makes these executive decisions, right? And all of us who are leaders, we're committed to Vintage to keep being honest about our growth areas. Our goal is not to put our head in the sand. I sat with Mike Thurman a couple of weeks ago, and we were having, he's on our executive leadership team. I said, hey, man, I'm like, just what do you see? What do you see that's going on at Vintage that I don't see that maybe we need to be dealing with? And he goes, hmm, and he just just named three things. And I put them into my notes, and I'm like, okay, he was, you know what? He was absolutely right. Like, I saw a couple of them, but not fully, and he gave clearer pictures. And guess what? I walked away a better leader because I asked where the problems were, Right? And I said, now, Mike, go figure it out. And so, no, but it's like, (laughs) and he did. He picked up some things. My load is lighter because he picked up some things. Praise God for Mike Thurman and the whole Thurman family. Andrew and Sherry, good job. So, so in us, we'll continue to be transparent about our next steps on the context of land, context of finances, right? I'll keep you in the loop. Like, Scott has stepped out of vintage. He's doing the calling. He and Rebecca and the boys have answered this call in their life. And so we're in the process of formulating what are our next steps. I'll keep you in the loop about that, right? We're looking at six months from, see, about five months from now, four months from now, kind of making a decision and doing some things, right? But we'll be talking about those things and letting you know as we go. I'll continue to ask for help in areas of the greatest needs at vintage, right? Like I'll continue to let you know. I, 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 I think I'm open and willing to hear anything people have to say about, hey, these are growth areas that I see, right? I can't know the things that I don't know. We can't know the things that we don't know. We can't know the things that we don't see. And so when you come to us, right, try not to grumble when you come and make us feel bad because we're terrible leaders. Just say, hey, I'm not sure you see this, but this is a picture. This is something I'm aware of. And I'll say thank you, right? We'll say thank you. So our leadership, we must step up, and our goal is to do that. Number four is that I expect each of you to step up and to be active participants. 
All right. I expect each of you to step up and be active participants. Now, I don't say that as a you better step up or else with a finger wag attached to it. Right? You better do this. Right. No, I just expect you to. Why? Because I know you and you're awesome people. Right. Like you're I know you. You're awesome people. You have growth areas like me and you have things you're pressing through. But ultimately, your desire is to be a part of the body of Christ and to do your role and to invest Right? It's little things like, let's open up our house to youth to possibly destroy the Super Bowl. It's a little, it's a little party tonight, right? I mean, there's lots of expensive things in the Parker house, right? It's like, ah, right? They're like, please let our insurance be good for the kids on the trampoline, right? It's like, you know, all sorts of things going on, right? So, just, <laughs> it's got it. so you know, getting at though, it's all these things. Everybody's stepping up. And so in that, I, my, my desire expectation is like, you're part of vintage. God brought you here to be part of this ecclesia. Not to just sit back and say, give me what I want. Give me what I need. Give me what makes me comfortable. But I want to receive so I can then give away here inside the four walls and then outside the four walls. We're all active participants. So I want to highlight just two specific areas this morning that we've been talking about since September and October. They were really the catalyst for us doing this all in in the context of, of, um, of January at Vintage. And it's this. There are two specific areas that, quote unquote, there are problems or needs because of growth in the context of Vintage. You've heard about both of these multiple times. I'm going to name them again. Number one is hospitality and prayer team. So the hospitality team right now is being led uh, by Robert Cabrera and Jody Claypool right here. Jody, raise your hands. Jody, she does all the administrative stuff. Robert's here. With all, he, he leads with his good looks and hospitality, right? So great. No, man, they both work together. They meet a ton. Like they work. Listen, they work like they don't get paid. They work hours every single week for you and for our guests who were coming to make sure that the Lord Schleiers and Mark, wherever he was, right, are back there start passing out bags, right? That we have people at the front door to be nice to people and greet them when they walk in. There's nothing worse than walking into a mean cold church, right? They're making sure that we have... Like all the stuff here and everything set up. We have prayer teams. So when I say, and where prayer teams come forward and it's night crickets because nobody walks up, right? They're making sure people are there. We have our director on Sunday morning because some people just don't show up on Sunday morning. So director's like walking around trying to find people, right? It's like they don't get paid for this. You don't even know they're probably doing a job. Did you know Jody was doing anything? And she's killing it, working her tail off. Robert working his tail off because it's not glorious but they're faithful and God's going well done and what we're looking for they looked at me and said would you please go to vintage and tell them we would like for more people to sign up for the hospitality team and for prayer and to come and get connected so we can grow our team to have greater influence for those who were here to be kind and for our first time guests who maybe hate church and hate Christians and for their hearts to be melted when they walk in the door because our hospitality team just loves on them. And we give them free coffee and mints. Right? It's a need. It's a problem because of our growth. We're growing. The second, Vintage Village. Ginger came to me and said, Steve, I, I'm, it's a, I'm, there, are, there, are, there are places we need people to plug in in the village. Now, here's the thing. 
How many, like, I'm not going to have you raise hands. All of you know where you're plugged in, right? You know what you're doing. You know where you're plugged in. You know an area of outreach or something you're connected with in ministry here at Vintage, right? That is a singular ministry. Vintage Village, hear this, is in, I've already said this before, I'll say it again, it is an all play. It's like, I don't care where you're serving. I don't care if you're, I'm not even going to name anything, right? But if you know all the ministries we have going on at Vintage in the area of mission, in the context of men's and women's, like everything going on. It's like, I'm giving over here. That's great. But this is an all play that everyone is coming and doing their role in the village to serve on Sunday mornings. And you can go serve at nine and then come to the 11th service or vice versa. I'm telling you right now, my expectation of every single one of you, don't get offended, is that you need to be in all play and go serve and love on and disciple our children. It's, a, it's what we say in infusion. We say it in fusion. Every single infusion group that goes through, hey, our expectation is that every single one of you, if you are physically able, you are serving in the village. Like, I'm not condemning. I have no idea who has and who has not, right? So don't feel like my eyes are glaring you down. It has nothing to do with me. I'm just sharing what the leadership at our church, like, again, I'm not comparing us to the apostles, okay? But like the leadership of the team has come and said, this is what our expectation is of everyone at Vintage, including ourselves. That's why in June, I take time and I serve in the village. Randall takes time over the summer and she serves in the village. Every single one of us does our thing, okay? The taco bout that we're looking at doing, that she's doing, put that up on the screen for me, uh, Will, the taco bout. It's like, the taco bout's about that. Like it's coming saying, hey, listen, you don't, may not even know what's going on in the village, Will you just let us tell you and we'll give you free tacos? They're buying your affection, right? No, it's like they want to invite you to come and eat and just hear, because here's the thing. There's something that you can do. There's something that you can do. And if you have not served in the village ever, and vintage is your ecclesia that you're part of, I'm not condemning you, but I'm asking you, please, would you step up and do your part? And it's as simple as going and signing up for this Taco about for February 9th at 12.45 p.m. after church on a Sunday and just hearing from Ginger of what's going on in the village. That's what we're asking. The idea, again, we are the ecclesia. We love talking about it theoretically, right? Oh, the church and what it does and saving the world. But do you know how costly it is and how it requires small things and big things? You know the body analogy in 1 Corinthians. The small parts, they shouldn't look down upon themselves. They're not the bigger parts, right? They're all equal importance in the eyes of God and the things that we're doing, right? These are the two specific problems, growth areas that are a problem because of growth for us. And I'm just asking us to step up into those things and to give yourself. And here's the beautiful piece. If you've never... Man, you've never served in those areas. Man, it's such a blessing. It really is. You get hospitality, you get to meet everybody. Go back and work with our children. It's like, these kids, they're crazy and awesome. Our children's leaders, our pastors, they're awesome. Ginger, Heather Matson, Shar Zarnick. I mean, y'all, I just wish you could. I mean, Richard's sitting right here. That's, that's a, Richard, raise your hand real quick. This is uh, Shar's husband, Rich. 
Like, he could tell you, I mean, I'm, I'm up, she's up here at crazy hours. She has a full-time job, teaching job, right? Full-time teaching job. And she comes up here part-time. We pay her for X amount, and she gives a whole lot more than that and loves on your kids and gives everything that she has. I really at least, I just at the least, I just want you to be able to know who to thank. Heather, so Bree's right here, Bree's mom, Heather, she's serving back here. She's been working for the past couple of months, and y'all, like, she's killing it, super active, giving herself energy. She's just like, oh, she's great. It's like a ball of energy. I'm like, this is so great, right? God's doing great things in the body of Christ as a whole, right? We believe he's coming with the wave. He's bringing revival. We're hearing it from all different corners of the world that God's spirit is moving in power. The gifts of the spirit are flowing. Salvation is coming. People are going to be healed. People are going to be set free and delivered, right? Like we believe these, God's doing these things in a macro level. We believe he's going to do that in a, in the small sea level to these beautiful and powerful spiritual things. But here's the thing I want you to see. That's what was happening in Acts. Revival was happening. And people were just behind the scenes serving widows. It's all of it at the same time. The big things and the little things. And they were all equal importance. I'm just asking you, here, takeaways this morning. Go sign up for all this stuff. But just have a conversation. God, where do you want me to use me in the life of your ecclesia, your church, in 2020? And think big things. And I want you to think small things. And allow him to begin to awaken to awaken this big picture of what it means to be the body of Christ together. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful uh, for your presence with us. We are thankful that you've called us to be part of this ecclesia's church. Lord, I thank you that in my heart there was no condemnation on anyone. And I thank you even more importantly, there was no condemnation in your heart for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so I don't sit here today and finger wag as you don't either, Lord. But you do make a very clear call. And I believe I'm being faithful in hearing your voice to make that call for these areas at Vintage. And so, Father, if people took offense, there's a grumbling in their hearts. So I just pray that you would speak to them. Give them that self-awareness to go, well, God, why? Why am I having this tension? What is this thing going on? That's what it means to be the body of Christ. I'm going to love always hopes the best. It always pushes through in unity. And so, Father, we pray for the spirit of unity to send, to, just to come and to remove in our hearts here. God, would you make us awesome? Only you can make us awesome. Would you make us awesome? God, just complete and full, lacking nothing, Jesus. We pray that you'd come and that you'd move in each of our hearts. And that, Father, you would bless us. We pray this in your name. Amen. This morning, I uh, want to invite you to respond. Obviously, we have our um, we have communion available here every Sunday. It's just an act every Sunday of us coming and engaging, remembering the blood of Jesus, remembering his sacrifice, and then remembering that if those were present and real for us then, then they are present and real for us today to move and to empower our lives encourage you to take that as you take communion always and come with a with a with a prayerful heart and a place of worship thanking him for who he is and allowing this thing god is to remember to awaken me jesus to the reality of the cross and the resurrection i invite you to come we have our offering baskets here they are available every sunday as your act of worship if you don't want to come forward here we have a little giving box you can open the little door or there's a giving kiosk on a 
iPad outside again just to help you worship and make it easy for you. Three, we have ministry teams available. Here's the thing. So I didn't talk about this at all, so I'm going to talk about it right here. Some of you have been wounded by the ecclesia. You have been wounded by people who carry my title, pastor or leader. I get that. I ran a lot of conversation yesterday. It's about woundings even in my own heart. It's just around leaders and pastors in my past, right? When I sat down with self-awareness, I'm like, God, I, I just see. I didn't even realize that, that offense was, that tension was there, that wall was up. Lord, I want that wall to come down. I want to I want to believe and trust again. I want to engage. You know what I'm getting at. So this morning, I want to invite you. If that's something that hits you, like, man, that's where I am. We'd just love to pray for you, that God would just to pray that kind of help you on in your journey to restoration, to healing. Maybe, maybe you need to forgive somebody today. You know, you're not, you're not saying it's okay what they did, but you're forgiving them, saying, I no longer, I release you, so you and what you did no longer have power over me. I release that to Jesus, and God's not going to hold you accountable. That's forgiveness. I release so God can hold you accountable. It's his to carry. His to carry. And this morning is this engaging forgiveness. Maybe it's this morning just being having an honest conversation. Like, what is my tension with delay embracing? Maybe it's what we talked about for several weeks. Maybe it's this, the spirit of rejection that hovers over you. You're afraid to really give yourself to anything. And so you sabotage your relationships. You sabotage what you're doing because you're afraid if I get too close, I'll get burned and hurt. Like some of you, that just hit. You're like, oh my gosh, yes, that's me. Man, just, just get prayer. Just ask God just to help you in that. Let's just let God move this morning and kind of awakening his heart again for us. For the ecclesia, the pinnacle of his creation, the means of salvation, sharing the message of salvation of Jesus. So he responds, the Lord leads. I'll come back in 15 minutes and I'll pray us out. But I do invite you to respond as the Lord leads this morning.